Dearest listeners, I hope that you're enjoying the Baha'i Blogcast. It has been such a treat and a delight to do these in conjunction with Baha'iBlog.net and the great team over there. What a delight it's been getting to know these exceptional spiritual minds, Baha'i and otherwise, over the years. And I wanted to say that if you enjoy this podcast, you might enjoy a new podcast that has just been released that I'm a part of called Metaphysical Milkshake. It's available wherever fine podcasts can be downloaded, and it's with my kind of intellectual partner in crime, Dr. Reza Aslan, the great author, firebrand, religious studies scholar. He's an exceptionally brilliant human being, and we engage in some uplifting and elevated discussions with some of the world's greatest thinkers and writers, people like Malcolm Gladwell and National Book Award winners like Elizabeth Colbert, Krista Tippett, Adam Grant, so many other amazing celebrities and authors talking about life's biggest questions. What is it that make us a human being? What uplifts us? What excites us? Why are we here? Do we have free will? Is there a God? What happens after we die? From science to philosophy to psychology to spirituality, we engage in all of the big questions And I hope that you will subscribe, like, follow, download, rate, review, whatever it is you do with podcasts. Metaphysical Milkshake with Rain and Reza, available wherever fine podcasts are sold. Thank you. Now to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Baha'i Blogcast with me, your host, Rain Wilson. This is where I interview members of the Baha'i faith and other friends from all over the world about their hearts and minds and souls, their spiritual journeys, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen of Baha'i Blogcast, thanks for tuning in. Once again, all 127 of you, thanks so much for listening. This is your old friend, Rain, and I am beyond thrilled. I know I say that every week. What what should I do? But what if I really am truly like beyond thrilled to be having a conversation with a very special someone? I, I have a little bit of a bromance with our next guest. I just admire this fellow so much. The work he does, his radiant spirit, everything he's done for the faith, uh, his stories, his energy. He's absolutely amazing. We're going to get to know him. And his name is Michael O'Neill. And he is the founder and executive director of Parent University in Savannah, Georgia. Also, he is an electrician. So if any of you need your house rewired, need a breaker put in, he is the man for the job. If you want some spiritual fuse box installed, you want to go just straight to Michael O'Neill. Michael on my first question for you, welcome to Baha'i Blogcast, first of all. Thank you so much, Rain. Until you said my name, I was looking around the room at who you might have been talking about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's you. You know yes. it's <laughs> you. Know it's you. Um, what is the difference between a fuse and a breaker? Ah, a breaker is resettable. Um, a fuse, pop, you know, it's yes. just made. It's like... A fuse is like a one-time good deal. One-time deal. And a, and a, and okay. a breaker is set where you can, is, is created where you can reset it 
Now, why do they have breakers and fuses? Why do they have? Why do they need to have fuses? Why? Do, why isn't everything just a breaker? Well, I mean, if you know, it's like the fuse came first. The easiest thing to do back in the, when they were creating the electrical infrastructure was to look. We need something to keep from burning everything down, and so they <laughs> they put something in there because that happened quite often. Sure, so they put something in there though that when it too much current happened, it would melt, you see, thereby right. saving everything upstream. And then, and then would also give you a clear indication of where, you know, where the problem is, you know? Gotcha. So, yeah. but now, but that, you know, that's inconvenient. People having to go to the breaker box and find the fuse and all that foolishness. So they just made it easy where now they made something that it trips and you can see it's something is wrong and you can fix it. I remember as a kid looking for those fuses and like find the few. And there's always one that had like a little smoldering burn mark on it. <laughs> oh, yes. I've I've left many of those in my wake. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet you have. Well, just so you know, this is a podcast about spirituality and not about being a professional electrician and about people's Baha'i journeys. So Michael O'Neill We've gotten to interact many times. I've gotten to support you a little bit at Parent University. I hope to support you more in the future. And But I don't know your story. So mm. can you take us all the way back uh, to mm. the beginning of your spiritual journey? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, I, I, I uh, Ray and I'm from Philadelphia, by the way. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I didn't realize how poor we were. I, I visited it, Philadelphia very recently and went back to my neighborhood um, as a reminder of how poor, you know, you hear the story about how somebody was born poor and all that kind of thing. Sure. Um, well, the street I live on is, is now a vacant lot. It's uh, all the houses have been uh, torn down and, and uh, it's uh, being there was interesting. And it, and it reminded me of just how uh, modest uh, my family's uh, existence was at one time. It's it's really hard to believe, and, and it's it's nothing like going back there and and being and smelling the smells of the dirt mm. and and this feeling says, "Wow, this you know this it's familiar, but it's different." Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so anyway, I was um, and I was it's like it was like seven kids and. Five of us were like real close, like stair steps and then a one off. Um, and I was the oldest of the stair steps. And, and that's significant uh, because. What do you mean stair steps? Like you lost me a little bit. Ah, ah. Uh, mom and pop realized how to have children. Got got pretty good at it. <laughs> so okay, every year, every year. I mean, five in a row, just boom, 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 boom. boom, boom. boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm the oldest of that group. So, you know, when when I was five, my sister was four, my brother was three, my brother was two. And then I think they skipped a year or so, and then my other brother came. And so that, so as we grew up, yeah, you know, that dynamic, uh, uh, we grew up together. We very much grew up together. Mm. And that kind of put me You're still as close. The, I think so. You might want to. 
pass them. <laughs> I'll but ask I, them. We'll I, get them on the next episode. <laughs> I I think so, and I, I think that dynamic um, it did it, it it affected me in ways I I never even knew, but um, I became a child who not only tried to keep himself out of trouble whenever whenever he could, but also had to think about keeping my brothers and sisters out of trouble. Hmm. Because as the oldest brother mm-hmm. in that group, I was somehow responsible for them too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that I, I think that fashioned me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and the way I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think about how are others doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think that I think it I think it lent to me becoming a fixer. You know, when you talk about the electrician thing, mm-hmm. because uh, if 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 somebody was doing something that might have got him in trouble, I wasn't in position to say, hey, that's their that's their worry. Mm. I, I kind of wanted to make sure that that trouble didn't overflow into my stream. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that part is important. And I've as I've gotten older, I, I, I realize more and more that that yeah. that, that, that crafted me. Yeah. And so I, I, I've, I've always been interested in the, how the people around me are doing mm-hmm. um, because I, I think I was molded that way. And so then, you know, I had a, a very interesting childhood in Philadelphia at, 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 in, in junior high school, what we call junior high school. They call middle school here in, um, in Savannah, Georgia, which I'll get to in a minute. But in middle school, somehow I got identified as one of these children that they should put in these these programs for for children who are showing some kind of promise mm-hmm. and so i was kind of pulled out of some of my classes and and sent to places like drexel university and um university of pennsylvania and mm-hmm. with this other group of kids we don't know why they, they told us like they told us that we had some kind of promise i don't know okay uh, I always thought they had made at least one mistake in the group, <laughs> <laughs> but it got me, you know, it, it, it got me out of some things and, and it afforded me some other things. So, so I, I stayed with it. Um, but that also affected me later as well mm-hmm. um, because it, it kind of pulled me away from my brothers and sisters and, and it had me examining things differently than they were examining. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I graduated from high school and I went to the University of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. with my cousin Dudley. Dudley was my roommate. Okay. Dudley was my roommate. And, uh, you know, everything was fine. This is life. I've I, I left Philadelphia. I went to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's okay. It's in Pennsylvania. I'm still in the North, you know, sure. and I, I get a letter. Me and my grandmother used to write each other who she's from South Carolina and I get a letter from her and she used to send me a little like $20 or something. And, you know, for a college student, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right there at the beginning. And then a couple months go by and I don't hear from her. But in in her letter, uh, Rain, uh, she told me, you know, she told me how she loved me and all that kind of stuff. And to always keep God uh, in my life. Hmm. Paraphrasing it, perhaps it's been a long hmm. time ago. So when you were when you were growing up in Philadelphia, what, were you growing up? Did you grow up Christian? Uh, was your family religious at all? Question. 
my family was socially religious. Yeah. Nothing. There's nothing pushed on anybody. I think my father claimed Methodist and my mother claimed Baptist. And we, you know, we showed up to to church pretty much every year on Easter. Okay. Um, (laughs) And that might have been it. And weddings and funerals. Um, And so as a teenager, thank you for backing me up. As a teenager, Rain, I... I'd say I was a little suspicious of religion. Okay. But mom and dad seemed to feel like it was a value. And I could see the social value of religion. Hmm. You know, you needed a place to get married. You needed a place, you needed a way to bury people. You you needed, Mm -hmm. um, they also sponsored all, you know, they sponsored some great basketball leagues. I mean, you know, where (laughs) would life be if, 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 if there wasn't the basketball leagues? And however... This whole thing about everybody in my church, we're all going to be okay. And the other people somehow have made some kind of mistake and yeah. aren't going to get the full reward from God. That that kind of weirded me out a little bit. And not to mention the fact that everybody in the church was of the same race. That, that was kind of strange. And it really didn't resonate with me. So I really felt church left a lot to be desired. I'll say, uh, rain, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but left a lot to be desired. And so, but I was cool with that because that's what religion was. It it was, it it had you, it had utility, but the the people that really seemed like they really kind of was into it. I thought maybe they were a little extreme. Okay. So, okay. So I leave and I'm, and, and besides that, I'm a, teenager growing up in Philadelphia. So I know everything, right? You know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is Philadelphia is the center of the universe. I know all there is to know. I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm heading off to Pittsburgh and I, I get there. And, and the fr- when I first get there, my, my, and my grandmother is sending me money, you know, and then the letter, st- the letter stopped. Hmm. And, and I get a call from my dad and he says, your grandmother's sick and we're going to, hmm. We're going to need to come uh, to South Carolina and see her because she doesn't have long. And that, then I, I, I came, uh, you know, it just so happens I was also pledging a fraternity. Just, just, just for you to know, I was pledging okay. a fraternity. Okay. And so I, I had to break that off, come down to South Carolina to see my grandmother who was ailing. And when I got there, I remember them, them ushering me into her room. And all my, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles were standing around and my dad was, was, and mom were standing around. And I walked into the room and I heard my grandmother said, you know, call my, my name, you know, in a very weak voice, you know, Michael. And everybody got bug eyed. Right. I'm like, well, what? She just called me and I walked over yeah, to her. Yeah. And she said, we had a brief kind of conversation and, but she was very far, you know, along towards her transition. And I love you, grandmom, and left. Later, my father told me that she hadn't spoken in days. Oh, wow. And she didn't speak after. Mm -hmm. That's always been with me. You know, my father, you know, he's not the kind of person to make a lot out of stuff like that. But he, he, he told me that. And so anyway, I get ready to go back home 
And but before we can really get resituated, my grandmother passed. And at but while I was there, Rain, I met my uncle who taught at Savannah State College mm-hmm. at the time. My uncle Skeet was his okay. name. It was Dr. Ernest Nicholson. So I, I like all the you've got Dudley and Skeet so far. I love these characters. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> It's a cast of characters. Cast of characters. And Uncle Skeet told me, uh, he says, uh, how's it going to Pittsburgh? I said, Uncle Skeet, I don't have money. I don't know how I'm going to finish going to Pittsburgh. You know, they gave me enough money because of this program I was in in Philadelphia. I thought I was, I don't know, somehow money was going to appear and I was going to be able to go to college. And I said, but now the end of the the new semester is kind of, I don't have any money. I don't know what's going on. And he's told me, well, I can have you in Savannah State in just like that. And all you need to do, just don't worry about that. Come on to Savannah State. Okay. And I'm and I'm like, wow. Oh, Savannah State? Is that where that guy Castro is? Of course, my Uncle Skeet looked at me, he said, no, that's Havana. <laughs> <laughs> Not I won't, Savannah. Say, I won't say some of the other things he said to me regarding my intellect, but um, he says, no, it just, but come on down here. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I came to Savannah state. My uncle Skeet did get me in, but I can, I can tell you that less than four months later or five months later, my uncle Skeet was gone from Savannah. He got another job. Mm. And he went on to become a superintendent of some school system or something like that in South Carolina or something. And here I was in Savannah. And I've been here. Ever since. From since 1974, Rain. But you, you see the, the window and the carousel of things that happened. Yeah. He was only there for that moment. I, I came through in that moment. And everything I'm about to tell you happened because of. Those series of things, grandma, leaving Pittsburgh, finding Uncle Skeet, getting here. So I'm I'm in Savannah. And remember I said I was pledging? Sure. A fraternity. Well, as far as pledges go, you know, if you're going to finish, once you start one, you don't go to another one. You know, once you start one fraternity, you don't go to another one. So there was the same fraternity was online in, in Savannah State. Okay. So the next time I had the opportunity... I pledged there so that I could finish because my cousin Dudley okay. had finished in Pittsburgh and no way was I not going to finish and Dudley finished. Okay. You, you see what I'm saying? Sure, that is, sure. That's not happening. Right. And so, but I, I barely even know these guys, but I pledged anyway. And on that line, this is a, this is a black community, uh, uh, fraternity uh, or, or historically black fraternity called yeah. Kappa Alpha Psi, Kappa Alpha mm-hmm. Psi. And it's the, the, it's the red and white guys, the crimson and cream guys that you might see on some TV shows. And on this line was a white guy in Savannah State in the mm-hmm. 1970s. Mm-hmm. And his name was George Gary. And he was Baha'i. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, you know, what are the odds? Yeah. And so I admire, I admire George for, I admire George for the experience. That's all I'm going to say. I'm admire George for the experience that we experienced together, pledging a fraternity in Savannah, Georgia in 1974. 
mm. with him being a, not a person of color. Mm-hmm. And so I got to know him. I got to know his character. And I would ask him, why are you doing this, George? Why are you, why are you doing this? And he says, uh, well, these guys are, some of these guys are my friends and, and, you know, I want to show our, our, you know, our friendship is, is uh, I want to belong to what they belong to and I want them to know me better. Hmm. And, um, and because, because after all, we're all just one. And, you know, I raised my eyebrows a little bit. Okay. Whatever you say, George. And, and so I wanted to know, why do you think this stuff, George? What do you mean we're all one? You know, there's, there's, there's white people and there's black people and there's, you know, and there's Indians and, you know, even amongst ourselves, we're not one, let alone all of us one. Mm. And he says, I think a little differently, Mike. I've, I've, have you ever heard of the Baha'i faith? And uh, I, I had to say no, which I didn't, I didn't like doing because once again, I was a young man from Philadelphia who was supposed to know everything. Mm-hmm. So I associated that with it couldn't be that important because I didn't know about it already. Okay. And I, and I knew everything, remember? And sure. so my feelings were, and my, you know, I'm just going to share that George had run into something that had kind of, he was a nice guy, maybe a little naive, and, and maybe he had got a hold of something and that kind of, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to say it wrong, but maybe it wasn't all he thought it was. And so because I now had such regard for this guy that all I wanted to do was George share a couple of these books with share a couple of your brochures, which is what I thought it was going to be. Sure. Maybe a, maybe a brochure. Yeah. With some, couple with some pictures. Yeah. Couple, with some birds or something. Yeah. And, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I would, I would find, I would immediately be able to identify the flaws and be able to assist George <laughs> to understand it differently. Right. I'm really cleaning this up, Rain. But, <laughs> and so George began to um, feed me various books. And after a couple months of that, George giving me those kind of books and stuff. And this included things like Seven Valleys and the Four Valleys. Wow. So right yeah. to some deep mystical stuff. Oh yeah, I was yeah, I was see, I was that kind of you know, back in this back in the seventies, man. We're everybody's deep. Sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know. And so he he would give me that, and then things like the one by William Sears, Thief in the Night, Thief in the Night, yeah, Thief in the Night, yeah, that was and, big in the seventies. Oh yeah. yeah, man. Oh, by the way, and then I heard things like. Uh, Seals and Croft were Baha'is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I'm starting to find out all this kind of stuff by talking with George. So I'm starting to get a little worried, Rain. I'm starting to sweat it out a little bit now because this is way deeper than I thought it was. I, so, you know, I, once again, I thought it was a couple of pamphlets. I, we quickly see what this was and, and and clear everything up. But I'm saying, wow, this stuff is is heavy. This is a They've put a lot of thought in this, but mm-hmm. I'm still suspicious. Sure. And and by the <laughs> way, you both got into the fraternity? Oh, yes. How amazing that was for an all-black uh, fraternity to let oh, a white guy in. Oh, yeah. Rain. I just, look, I, I just don't want to take it. I don't want to take this conversation too far off. But you have said a mouthful there, buddy. But we could have a whole podcast 
about that experience and why I felt the way I feel about George. Mm. Because it's that's a whole podcast that mm. that even today is, is a critical subject in our nation. But but let's just say that I came to regard him highly for what mm. he was willing to put up with in order to prove his point. And um, it reminds me of that quote, do not be content with showing friendship in words alone. Let your heart burn with loving kindness for those who may cross your path. But not just words. He's going to show up, pledge a fraternity. He's going to get it from both sides. Probably a lot of black folk oh. aren't going to like it. And a lot of, very few white folk are going to yes. understand or, or appreciate yes. that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and let me just, since you brought it up, let me just tell you, when I talk about George, I'm not talking about a Fonzie character. You know, I'm not talking about a leather jacket, motorcycle riding kind of cool white guy. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about a grow up the outskirts of Ann Arbor. So, I mean, way in the outskirts of Ann Arbor, Michigan, literally on a farm. Okay. George, I mean, had absolutely no rhythm whatsoever. So nerdy white farm boy. He's that guy. I sure. mean, he's yeah. that guy. I relate. I relate. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so he's so he's not that guy that you might be getting in your mind. Cool. No, 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 no. He's not that guy. He, he was, uh, it, yeah, you know, he was that guy and he stuck it out. Wow. And And that was, that's a whole podcast or maybe a private conversation that we have sometime but that's who brought me to this faith Mm. so you know i'm reading these books and now um i'm getting a little uh oh my gosh what so this is not what i thought it was the other thing about george i know this podcast isn't about george gary but i'm so happy to be talking to him he was the most loving soul Mm. he could forgive at the drop of a dime he never wanted to talk about anybody Mm, you know, mm. he never wanted to say bad things about anybody. He was always trying to uplift and 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 all that. You know, it's and it was really frustrating <laughs> for those of us, you know, who wanted him to just just talk like the rest of us. You're all, you're already a white guy, right? And now you're also different in so many ways. Mm, and mm. so, you know, this is college, and 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 we're we let's let's just say we. We 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 celebrate a lot. <laughs> we we party okay. a lot. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Okay, we'll put it that way. Celebrate. And- <laughs> yeah, you celebrate. celebrate. <laughs> There's a lot of celebrating. Sure. And and I had celebrated a lot. And and um, but George bought to my uh, dorm room uh, one more book for me to read, and it was called the Katabi Igan. Hmm. And uh, so I was still I was still long enough to read. The first half of the Katabi Egon. And I just, it was um, it was that magic moment. That uh actually it was frightening. I say magic, it was more like frightening moment for me. Mm. Half, you know, it's 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 in two pieces, you know, the, the Katabi Egon's written in, in two two parts. Right. And I had read it to halfway when I got to the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. I was literally scared, like hide under the bed, scared. Because it was like, it's like you've been under a bowl and everything in that bowl, all the walls of that bowl was reality. Yeah. 
And it was cool. It was all right. I'm glad. I was fine. I'm good with the reality that sure. is. Sure. Mm. And somebody just lifts the bowl up. And 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 there's the world outside right, of the bowl. Right, right, right. Mm. And uh I was scared to death. And 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 I called George. I went to the telephone booth. Remember, it was telephone booths back then. Sure. Yep. I went to the telephone booth and called George and said, Hey man, what do I do now? He said, Well, there were fuses. <laughs> there were telephone booths, fuses. Yeah. Yeah, and people going on spiritual journeys in the 1970s. Yes, yes. different world, different, different world. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and, continue. You went to the phone booth. You picked went it up. To the phone booth. Went to the phone booth. And I want to say, remember, I wasn't looking for a religion. Sure. When this journey, or so I thought. And um, well, George said, "Okay, Mike, finish. Continue reading the Katabigan, and I'll get back with you." And so then he comes back about a day later. And he and he and he's and he's worried. He's um he's he says, I'm trying to find a declaration card. <laughs> Back in those days. Yeah, you sign yeah. your card, sure. But but he, you know, he didn't know where they were. He had to get in contact with the with the with the secretary and, and get in contact with her. And it was a big deal. But he did find it. And he bought me the declaration card and I, I signed my declaration card. And um that that was uh, early 1975, and that's when I uh, declared my faith in, in Baha'u'llah. And, and what was uh, the Baha'i community in Savannah, Georgia, 1975 like? Oh, well, see, this is one of the rare communities in the country. The Baha'is in Savannah have, have from from their inception, been mostly African-American. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, there was a couple of families that, of African-American descent that embraced the faith in, this, in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so most of them became like, like local spiritual assembly members. And so our communities were mostly, mostly African-American. However, then we had people who, that we had some people from the Persian community and some, and some various things that filled it out that, that mm -hmm. made that Baha'i faith was still the most diverse community, <laughs> a small, but diverse community in Savannah. Uh huh. But it was, it had a majority black ingredient. And so, mm -hmm. uh, so he found one, I signed, I became a Baha'i and, that's been that journey has changed the trajectory of my entire family, not just my not just my nuclear family, but now all my brothers are Baha'is. No kidding, sister. Oh, oh yeah. All those oh, yeah. all those steps. Yep. Wow! Yep. Fabulous! Amazing! Yep. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it is amazing. And even the sister who's not Baha'i, who's who's Catholic, is the most boisterous about the Baha'i faith. Yeah. And how if you if we did it like the Baha'is did it or <laughs> right, you know, that kind of thing. But for whatever reason, she's never she never uh declared her belief in the faith. But my brothers and I have traveled around around the world, my grandchildren, my grandson brain was just my grandson was just elected to a local spiritual assembly in this last election. Wow. My grandson. That's amazing. To generations, son. generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a beautiful story, man. That is, oh. that's a beautiful story. Thank you, Rain. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unexplored pockets in there. But oh, we'll, I'm, I'm we'll sure see. there's a lot more. I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about. So, so Michael, there, here we are in the mid '70s. You're a newly enrolled young Baha'i. 
What was that like? I, I'm sure there were challenges and some adventures. And it was, uh, it was a heady time. There was a time of mass enrollment, and yes. especially in South Carolina and in the area in the South and the African-American community. Uh, certainly uh, the most challenging issue, racial prejudice is, you know, burning bright even to this day, obviously, mm -hmm. but, you know, in the 70s as well. What was that like for you? Well, you know, one of the things that's hard to explain to people about the things you just named is that when you live in it, it's life. It, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. So you're not you're not looking at it uh, from you're not looking at it from outside as an observer. You're mm. you're living it every day. Okay. And and I and I've learned that 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 you have to when trying to when trying to explain to someone or when someone's looking for an answer about how those things affected a person who experiences it. You gotta, mm. you gotta really listen to how they're explaining it because they're not explaining it from the perspective of someone who's who wants to know about it. They're explaining it from the person who is experiencing it, and it's and it's and it's, and it's a different kind of narrative. It's a different okay. kind of way of explaining. So, uh, what I was, I was, I was twenty, by the way, at Savannah State after becoming Baha'i. Shortly thereafter, I met this Georgia peach. Okay. And you're not talking about a piece of fruit. <laughs> okay. Jonelle, Jonelle O'Neill. And we, after becoming a Baha'i and trying to grasp that Baha'u'llah was probably trying to, expected me to be different than what I was being. One of the first things I wanted to do was was try and, and clean up my act and and be uh, reputable and more decent and stop some of those celebrating things, so much stop celebrating <laughs> a little or 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 at least modify the behavior somewhat. And I I I I, uh, I met uh, Jonelle and and uh, we were married probably one year after me becoming a bi. And by the way, at that all this had happened. And and I was married now to Jonelle, and I'm just turned 20 years old. Right. So wow. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm pretty young. I'm pretty young. <laughs> I mean, I'm still very yes. And and I met so Jonelle and you're you're married, you're newly enrolled. It's your you're just turned 20. Okay. You got some growing yes. up to do in front of you. Oh boy. Oh boy. And so, so we got married. Uh, and so, and, and so, so to get married, we had to meet the local community, not just the campus. So we had to meet the local community and I met the local community. And, and a, a year later we were on the LSA. <laughs> wow. Now was you she know, a Baha'i or did she become a Baha'i? Yes, you? yes, yes. No, it, well, no, no. She, she became Baha'i through me. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I tease her about that to this day, by the way. Uh, but she became a Baha'i after I did. I wouldn't want to say through me, Wayne. She's going to she's going to hear this interview, so I'm not going to say words <laughs> like through me. Of course, okay. So, so but she became Baha'i after I did, and and we got married, and then now now you know we're in Savannah on the assembly. I think a couple years later, I was or a year later, I was chairperson of the assembly. You know, I'm like 22, 23, and. I still had some growing up to do 
And so some years, some difficult years uh, are ahead of us mm. on, in a lot of ways. And at some point, I wasn't really connected well with the community. You okay. know, I was, of course, completely infatuated with Baha'u'llah. But, 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 you know, working with Baha'is is, is different than being infatuated with Baha'u'llah. Mm. Um, they both take a, they both take a, a will and they both, they, they take different skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Shoghi Effendi says that sometimes the greatest test that we'll have is working with other Baha'is. Oh, I certainly would not dispute the, the, the guardian. Mm. <laughs> the mm. And, and I would actually have to testify to the validity of that and how I had to, must have been a test for those for the community, sure, and in some moments, and and so you know, I went from chairperson of the assembly for several years consecutively to you know, screening phone calls, you know, and 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 during that time, that time of of separation, there there was one Baha'i who 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 home visited me and us consistently all the mm. time. And his name was uh, Rick Morgan. That's another character. There's another. His name was Rick Morgan. Mm-hmm. And when we were ready to re-embrace the community, but but you know you have those feelings. Well, I've been away a long time. Are they are they going to welcome me back? Mm. It was. I got to say, it was those visits by Rick Morgan mm. that made that seamless, mm. and that made so I. I, I always say that is that 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 Rick Morgan, other than George Gary, Rick Morgan is one of the most significant individuals in my life because he visited us when we were, regardless of where we were, uh, he would visit. Well, and that underlines the importance of these this whole idea of home visits. Yes, you know, reaching yes. out to people that might be alienated, that yes. might have had some bad experiences, might just kind of be in a spiritual doldrum. It's so important. So important. I, I, my life is what is, is, I, I can't ex- describe my life without talking about that period and, and, and just how effective it is when a person wants to make the decision that they have to make. It is important that they know there are people out there that did and do care mm. still about that and are, we- and are welcoming mm. instead of us uh, thinking that, well, a person went away, forget about it. Let's go get the next enrollment. Mm. We, it's really important to, once a person does recognize Baha'u'llah, to continue to recognize that and to nurture the, the relationship regardless of what happens. And so we came back to the community. Everything was was going well. But of course, the racial, the, the issues are every day, Rain, is what I'm trying to say with this when I when I talk about how you describe it, the things that we experience every day, with with regard to race in this country yeah. and the racial divide, not the least of which is is in the religious community. Sure, sure. So, but one of the things that the Baha'is did, and why this all kind of, one of the things that Baha'is did was annually we had this thing called the Race Unity Picnic. Okay. Second Saturday in June, we had the Race Unity Picnic. And it was it was it was kind of a it was different. You know, people weren't having race unity picnics, but we had it 
And some of the people that used to visit our race uni pictures were, you know, city representatives from the, from the town council, aldermen or whatever they would call themselves. And one of them was named Floyd Adams. And Floyd Adams later became mayor and he became Savannah's first African-American mayor. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And but after he was elected, he asked the Baha'is to nominate somebody to be on his human relations commission because his campaign had run into some, as you can imagine, some some things that 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 were possibly going to ignite other kind of negative energies in the community. And he wanted to create a commission that could maybe steer some of those things into a more positive path. And he got, you know, he got somebody from the Jewish community, somebody from the Muslim community, sure. you know, as a Christian, you know, the, the, but also the Baha'is. Okay. Which was a which was kind of a big deal back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, that was kind of a it was kind of a big deal to now, and the Baha'is are at the table because they're the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. You see, and while on this commission, um, we had some problems at our schools. Some uh, some schools had accused the teachers of saying some negative, some racially negative things to their kids. Wow. And they wanted to boycott the schools. So Floyd Adams asked his commission members to help. All right, what, what are we going to do about that? That's wow. why I brought you guys together, guys and gals together. And um, well, me, that's a sign. Of, I'm sorry. That's a sign of a great politician to kind of like tackle an issue as incendiary as that, as difficult as that, with roots hundreds of years old in a community like Savannah, and to bring on a you know an interracial you know interfaith. consultative interfaith yeah council to yes. kind of help build bridges. I mean, yes, that's yes. what should be doing. That should that should be happening all across the United States. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Uh, it's it, it was amazing, but he was that kind of guy, very unassuming kind of guy. But you you, you would you, you would underestimate him. He was an easy guy to underestimate. Mm. But of course, he was now mayor of Savannah. So you, you, you maybe should um, reconsider your strategy if you're underestimating him. But we t- we t- we wanted to tackle that and we had various suggestions. But because of my past experience as an electrician, I always thought. To fix a problem, you need to know what you're talking about. I mean, when, when you're an electrician, believe me, you need to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what you're doing, your your career could be shortened. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that, Rain. That's one of my <laughs> oldest. <laughs> you're kind. Yeah, that's good. Uh, no, I get it. <laughs> you know. Um, your career could be up in smoke. Up- <laughs> you know? You could just get burned out. You could get fried, you know? Oh, and, my, uh, my, my, my. Yes, yes, it, all of those things. All. By the way, I've I've participated in each of the things you just mentioned. Oh, my God. <laughs> all of those things. Yeah, I, were, I was a real electrician in a, in a, in a, in a, in a paper mill where I, I'm not talking about just 110 at the outlet at the wall. Yeah. I'm talking about that electricity you can hear that can jump out at you and get you. Right. But anyway, it was important to, to me, it was saying, well, listen, why don't we just get people together and, 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 and train them and see, you know, learn more about each other, learn our roles. And uh, it sounds like a good idea to some people, but at that point, 
most people are on these kind of organizations because the mayor asked them to be. Sure. Which is fine. But at some point, you have to do some work, some footwork. Hmm. And I've always been that kind of energetic person that that um, I, I don't mind moving. I don't mind, once again, from the time I was a kid, you know, that, that's just kind of my role. And so I went out and started talking to parents about, I said, I'm going to go talk to people. And it ended up, I, I felt I was more qualified to talk to parents and say instructors or administrators of schools. Mm-hmm. And I went out and started talking to parents about, guys, what could we learn to do to be better so that we can have a more constructive conversation with the schools mm. so that we can advocate better? And this process gathered a bunch of people in Savannah together to really have a serious conversation. We didn't know where we we're going to go with it, what we would talk, what we would, what we would um, do with this information that we learned, but we started creating, getting to know each other, creating relationships. Ah. And, and, and that was the kernel of it, that we would create relationships. And of course, all the time I was now, you know, looking at the guidance and seeing the importance of the role of the parent of, of, of the role. Remember that was back in the eighties when we when, when, uh, when social action was termed social economic development. Sure. Mm-hmm. SED, remember SED? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was reading the guidance and it was and it was in, intimating to me the importance of all the players, all the all the participants being protagonists, right. you know, not dropping something on somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and and one of the things that kind of disturbed me a little bit with most of the endeavors that I saw, the well-meant endeavors that I saw, was it still sent, felt like we were coming up with great ideas and depositing them on a population. Right. With the best of intentions. Sure. Nothing malicious, but it still felt like we were doing to others. Because now we, did did we have great answers? Sure. We had great answers for things, Mm -hmm. but still we were a little bit, little heavy on the idea part and and they were going to receive the benefit of our good idea. And that didn't resonate with me. I, I didn't feel like that was how consultation, right. Consultation should yield what all the participants feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. And see now the, the language today is different than the language was Back in the 90s, Rain, you know, when we were okay. beginning out of, of this 25 years of plans, hmm. the language w- was was a little different. So it was that part was challenging. So I started talking to these parents, started making some friends. And we started becoming a thing, this this group. Hmm. And eventually we all got together. I circled back around, brought all these friends back together in a place. Um, but by this time people had kind of got on board with the idea. And, and w- one of the people that got on board uh, was a, a gentleman named Otis Johnson, who was an activist who was running for school board. Mm-hmm. And he campaigned about this idea mm. because- And what was the idea in a nutshell? Let's create a parent learning environment. Mm. Let's create a parent learning environment where we 
can position ourselves to articulate what it is we want without being the normal picket signs, uh, being angry, Mm -hmm. being pointed to and saying, look, see, they're just reactionary. Mm -hmm. And the way people uh, portrayed the parent population at that time, either Mm -hmm. you were with the established parent thing, parent organization, I'm fine with PTAs and all that kind of stuff. All that's fine. But what we were going for was something that we invented, something that we supported. Okay. From inside, from our creation. Mm. And the name, we found a name for it, and we call and it was called Parent University. If mm. if you were to go online, you'd you'd see a hundred parent universities out there, the name. Mm-hmm. But I would venture to say you won't see a single parent university that has that spends so much time garnering from the participants what the participants feel the program ought to do. Most of the programs say, here's your package. Here's right. what we're doing. You can participate in it and mm-hmm. you may benefit from it. Fine. Ours is. Let's create the package. And if we create the package then we become advocates, we become primary the primaries in the package, and it's ours to either uh, see to it that it succeeds or that it fails. It's ours. It's it's all yeah. on us. And and so, but this this is back in 1999. So, Parent University, uh, of which you are the executive director, really was founded as a, a kind of alternative organization for parents to to speak their mind and unify around uh, injustices, imbalances in the Savannah School District, but it became so much more than yes. that as an organization. Yes. And But that was guided really by the parents themselves, yes? Absolutely, that, that's absolutely the difference, is that yeah. it's the parents, the, the parents built it, not an organization outside mm-hmm. of the community coming in with a, who knows? A great idea, terrible idea. That's not the point. The yeah. point is, is that the parents decided what they needed mm. and put their energy into it. And mm-hmm. we ended up calling it Parent University. But I also want to want you to want to want to uh, emphasize again that this came out of racial conflict. Okay. See, but it doesn't take the normal paradigm that we're all used to seeing. Right. You see, so people would say, well. What? See, this this was an action mm. out of a racial paradigm, right. which, by the way... A community-building, so, grassroots, social action in response to a racial injustice, as opposed to just a protest, as opposed to just kind of like, that's racist, we're against that, that's bad. Um, and people either say, yes, I agree, or no, I don't agree. But yes. this started a, a movement. yes so inspired by this Baha'i idea of grassroots community building. Absolutely. Based in consultation, Rain, not not, not the least of which, reflection. We didn't even have the word reflection gathering at the time. <laughs> okay. But we but on, on reflection and consultation. And it, it stemmed, it's it actually stemmed a boycott. Because the people who were putting together the boycott of the schools because of what the parents heard that the teacher had said the ministerial alliance in Savannah was calling a boycott 
Sure. See, I'm, as 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 we have said, you know, I'm an electrician from the from the paper mill. <laughs> the school system was like, "What is he talking about? What? Why is he here? Who let him in mm. this board meeting?" Un- until people began to gather around us, and I was approached by the interministerial alliance chairperson and said, "Listen, we really don't want a boycott, but we've already called for it." But I'm going to tell them if they would if they would give us a fair chance with this parent university thing, we'll call off the boycott. See, that would say that would save face. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so, so all of these things came into play. And as a result, the school system agreed to partner with us. Uh, and that's a whole story in of, of, in of itself. But the school system agreed to partner with us. And once they did, all the other people who were going to partner with us were ready to step up to the front of the line as opposed to kind of being, well, if the school system works with you, we'll support you. But mm-hmm. once the school system said it would, the other people came up. And on November 13th of 1999, we had a meeting uh, that we called the Can We Talk meeting, which was sponsored by a group called the Interracial Interfaith Community. Of Savannah, mm-hmm. Georgia, mm-hmm. and at mm. that at at yeah, back in 1999, and at that meeting, Parent University was born from the input of everyone in that room. And in January of 2000, we had our first class of Parent University, and uh, we had over 200 people attend. Oh wow! Which was wow. just in 1999 was a an wow. insane thing. I love how this organization arose out of that crisis. And what does Parent University do now? Assume oh the listener doesn't know anything about Parent University and yes. your work. We it does a lot, U- but what is it in a nutshell? Um, Parent University is a space for continuous learning. Okay, it is a, that space is 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 dedicated to a person who perceives themselves as a parent. Not necessarily a biological parent, but okay. a person who's meaningful to children and mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we meet several times a year and we have a litany of classes that parents can choose from. They can choose a, par- a class of, of, of their uh, uh, of, of a roster that we create. Sure. Many of the classes they have asked us to, to uh, put on the roster. Okay. Then they can choose, say we have 30 classes on the roster. You can only take three. Okay. Name some of them. Oh my gosh. Name seven. Oh my. Okay. Uh, Positive parenting. Okay. Uh, uh, CPR. Okay. uh, Resume writing. Great. Uh, 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 Oh gosh. Uh, learning more about Lexiles. You know what Lexiles are? I don't know. I don't know what a Lexile is. What is, what is that? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something in is reading. Is it like shingles? It's like, <laughs> it's something in reading. Lexiles. It's, okay. It's, it's a type of reading thing. The new math, um, how to advocate for your children in school. Oh. Uh, the, uh, yes. Um, how to advocate for schools at home. Yeah. Anything on um, mental health going on with kids? Oh, my days? gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. See, see, at the beginning, Rain, back in 2000, the subject was 
How does a parent advocate for their child in school when we all are intimidated by the prospect of going into schools? Okay. We get in schools and they start saying, your child needs an IEP. And we don't know what that means, you know, okay. uh, individual uh, development or whatever, whatever, whatever IEP means. Teachers start using that vernacular stuff. Parents get defensive. The, the, the conversation goes nowhere. Maybe somebody says a, a smart thing or a hurtful thing to one of the participants, walks out, and they realize that they haven't helped their child the way they want it to. Mm. Uh, so what the parents wanted to know is, how do we navigate schools? What is standardized testing? Sure. Things of that nature. So our first curriculum in, in 2000 was heavily that kind of thing. Sure. How do we become more effective advocates for our children right. at home and, and schools in our in our homes? So today, a conversation, a parent university class would be like, how do you survive a you know a year and a half of being sequestered at home? Yeah. What does depression look like? Mm. What about stuff with screens and screen addiction? Oh know? my gosh, we've had several of them. Several mm. of them, Rain. We there, there are so many. Also, how to have fun in this environment? Ah, yeah. You see, because the the, the result is is not, is not that there is a mental health place. I mean, that's a that's a fix, but really, all all they're going to try to do is is remind you to and have joy in life. Mm. So we'll have people that come out if you're going to be on a screen. Here's how you do it. Here's how you break it down in 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 hours and um, um how, say how to bring joy back into your home. But not only that, how do you arrange your finances in these days? Hmm. Um, um, how do how do you rebuild broken relationships? Hmm. Um, and of course, there's a litany of classes on COVID specific environments. Okay, but 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 essentially. The, the dynamics of the of the courses will be is what is the audience asking for? So if an audience asks for a a number of uh, uh, kind of topics, like mm -hmm. a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. we will begin to work those topics in. Mm -hmm. But I, I got to say again, for whoever's out there, try to imagine a list of courses that are what you want. Because see, we're trained to come to the event because the they know what we want. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I would love the audience to kind of forget about that. Mm. Think of what a school experience with Lord of space looks like. That's going to talk about what you want to talk about mm. Mm. and how you would, how would you support that? How would you engage in a, if you wanted to know 10 things, and you listed 10 things and an organization put those 10 things on. Yeah. How would you feel about that space? Right. Right. Feel good about it. Like I owned it. Like I was a part owner. So how has parent university helped to transform uh, not only the educational system of Savannah and its area, but the community of Savannah itself? I think there, there's a, a lot of ways that we could begin to dissect that question. You, you, you have a group of parents at this point, Rain, that has been engaged in the parent university process for two decades. Wow. Tw 20, 22 years, Rain, we've yeah. been doing this. And so, so a couple of things have happened. 
uh, when I asked when I asked you a few minutes ago about how would you feel about uh, a, a course, an organization that said they will do whatever you ask of them. You said you'd love it, but I'm sure part of you says, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Is that is this is this is a trick. Mm-hmm. This can't be true. Things don't work like that. I have to go, you know, the people with resources have their agenda and I've got to fit into that. That's the experience. And so in our first years, we had to prove to people that what they said was important and that we would serve them. Well, 20 years later, they under, they know that's true. So what that has done is that has reinforced that there is, that's possible that we can actually create something that serves us as individuals and that can last. Yeah. The, the effect have been that those parents that have participated have been reinvigorated on many levels, have been wow. reinvigorated as parents, have been reinvigorated as citizens. Um, the, and, and because um, the other part of this is that now that you've experienced it, now you've got to go get somebody else. You've got to you've got to share this experience with someone right, else. Right, right. And they have because they're not they're not afraid to bring somebody to something we're going to be uh, yeah. hustled or or they're going to be disappointed. Yeah. So those parents have learned what they wanted to learn, and in the process, realized there was a whole bunch of other stuff they wanted to learn. You know, because th- th- that initial that initial learn what you want to learn. Mm-hmm. Yields to the love of learning in general. See, at mm-hmm. first you 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 get to taste exactly what you wanted, but then you realize, wait a minute, there's a smorgasbord of stuff that I want to learn because now I'm getting good at learning. Now I'm comfortable in a school environment. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm meeting all the people in the community who are movers and shakers, mm. and they're here, and now I know them first name basis. So now. I'm, I'm, they're emerging from a reality that they, so now those people have become significant people in the community from people who were really on the, on the, on the edge, on the perimeters hmm. Hmm. of the community to now they're very visible yeah. and active and leaders. And so the model, this model now is a model that has gone on for generations and everybody <laughs> tell you the truth. Everybody is seeing the efficacy of creating a space that parents have created themselves because they, for one thing, they come to it. I think one of the elephants in the rooms that we don't talk about is most events that talk about parent training. If you get a half dozen people in there, (laughs) I'm talking three and four hundred people at every event. Yeah. I'm talking about a county fair at every event for 20 years. Yeah. How many how many people have been through the programs from the beginning? Do you have any kind of handle yeah, on the I'm, numbers? Uh, it's over 10,000. Mm. Amazing. Yes. And that's in a place like Savannah, Georgia. And this is all the result of an act, it sounds like. I don't know what words were thrown about, but it sounds like an act of toxic racism. And out yes. of that was born, you know, an organization that has helped over 10,000 people. Oh, oh yes. Oh, but oh, affected and, hundreds of thousands. Oh, oh my. 
Yeah. And, and, and we're in multiple cities now. Oh, goodness. We're in multiple cities now. Yes, we, we've started in, in, in Pensacola, Florida. I feel like this needs to be, this needs to get out into the national news media. Like, as here's a success story, you know, of grassroots community transformation based on kind of spiritual social justice principles. Yes, 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 right. And and there's so much I could say. You mentioned something a little earlier that I really want to say a, a couple of words about. It probably and, was really brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, as as I've come to expect. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> you laugh at my stuff. I'm sure you're polished at laughing. So, Dude, uh, I, told, I told the listeners we had a bromance. <laughs> like, I, you are my hero, man. You are my hero. I'm going to laugh at all your jokes, okay? I might hold you to that. But, I told but, you I'm gonna. I'm there for you. Whatever you need, I'm. I'm there. Uh, well, sign me well, up. You see, you know, we just jumped 20 years from the beginning to the end. Rain. There have been so many moments where I wondered what in the world have I got myself into, and does anybody care? So I, I want to tell you that along the way, uh, within the Baha'i community, uh, there was an event I used to attend annually called mm -hmm. the Black Men's Gathering. Yes. We had uh, Smitty, William yes. Smitty Smith, on yes. the podcast, and he spoke yes. uh, in great detail about, about it, but I would absolutely love to hear more. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I um, Well, you know, we, we would get together once a year in, in, in July and, and spend, it, it got to the point where it was like a, a, a week together, uh, reading the writings, the, the most local, the most recent guidance, but one of the things that the thing I want to talk about is that every year we would ask ourselves, what are we going to do for our community? And for many years, one of the things that kept me going is that I was going to, when I came back to the Black Men's Gathering that year, I was not going to say that Parent University had ended. So I don't know if I've shared that even with a lot of the, a lot of my co-participants, oh. that it was, it was like a marker for me that I wanted to be able to come back and say to the gentleman in attendance, you know, parent university is, is still going. This is what we've learned because this was a place where we pledged to each other to make a difference ah. in our communities in the year to follow. So there is a reality without the black men's gathering where parent university would have just dissipated. I could not disagree with that. I really can't. I really yeah. can't. I mean, I, I'm. I don't. There's so many people have contributed. I don't want to. I don't want to diminish anyone's participation. But for me, yeah. mm -hmm. but for me, knowing that I was coming back to the gathering every yeah. year. Mm -hmm. But we need that, Michael. We need yes. that as human beings. We need support. We yes. need uh, commitment. We need accountability. Yes. We sometimes yes. we need people to say, "Hey, did you follow through on that thing that you said you were going to do?" Yes. We need we need groups like that. We need yes. you know friends like that, family yes. members like that. Yes. Um, yes. So it's <laughs> not like important. any great weakness. It's how it's how we thrive as humans. We thrive as humans with support, empathy, but also accountability from from loved ones. I, I counted on it. I, I counted on that period where we were going to have to talk about our, how did we do on our commitment from the previous year? I, I it, it was an important part. And you know, sometimes rain, 
like when you make some kind of uh, uh, in, in in the other world, uh, when you make a New Year's pledge. Yeah. You don't you don't say it to anybody else. Yeah. It's really easy for that to fade into the uh, the ether. But mm. if you tell somebody or if you write it down somewhere, it, it takes on a permanence. Yeah. And a life. Mm-hmm. And you have to face it. Now, did mm-hmm. I do this or did I not? Right. Well, the, the, the Black Men's Gathering for many years for me was a place that I could make a commitment to a lot of other guys yeah, and to myself. And I wasn't going to come back and say I didn't I hadn't done it. And in the early years, before people start appreciating what we were doing, it's easy now in comparison, Rain. It's easy. But in the early years, I, I, I just want to try and set. I'm not a professional educator. Yeah. I was I was just a run-of-the-mill dad, right? Out of the community, running something called Parent University. For a lot of people, that did not compute. Yeah. You see, and every for a lot of people were just watching the clock for when this thing was going to run out of gas. And it was going to, you know, it was going to go, going to go away. By the Amazing. way, hadn't by the way, I was doing this part-time. Because I was still, you're still. You know, we were at the paper mill doing being absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Up until That's about amazing. up till about three years ago, so I did this part time. But the numbers just got so big, and you were asking the change that it made in the community. After about ten years, we had made such an impact in the community that other entities in the community started approaching us because we had such a following. Other entities that wanted to make meaningful change in the community started started uh, approaching us and asking us if they could integrate what they do into our learning space. Wow. And this was around 2010. We had been running for about 10 years. Hmm. And, 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 you know, every time we got together, hundreds and hundreds of people coming together. But I was approached by some some Rotarians mm-hmm. and, and Kiwanians and. Those sound, those sound like alien species. They, well, in some ways, you they say are. that. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, but members of Rotary clubs, members of Lions sure, yeah, clubs, I, I members gotcha. of Kiwanis. Um, before I know you know, Rain, just for the audience. <laughs> and they did approach us and asked us if they could work with us because what we were doing was meaningful, and this audience was an audience that they wanted to have impact because. Um, this audience looked a lot like the audience that you would see on television that was having the chronic social ills. Mm. And, and and they wanted to address that. Mm. And But they couldn't reach that audience. But they had heard we could. Yeah. So they came to us. Yeah. And they offered support in a lot of ways. Mm. And we said, we said to them, if the parents are amenable yeah. to your suggestion, then that'll be fine. And and as a matter of fact, several of them actually became parent university participants and graduates. Oh, wow. So, Michael, what an incredibly beautiful story, so moving. What are some other ways in which parent university uh, is Baha'i-inspired? Oh, my. Uh, So it's consultative, it's grassroots. Yes. Yes. But it also seems like People of all ages are seen as noble beings. You know, Absolutely. parents, even if they have no education themselves, 
children, even if they struggle in school. Yes. And uh, fosters encouragement and empowerment. But what yes. are some what are some other kind of Baha'i attributes that you would attribute to Parent University? I mean, I know you don't have on that masthead. This is a Baha'i inspired mm -hmm. nonprofit or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it mm -hmm. so obviously is. Yes, 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 yes. Well, um, well, the consultation is a huge piece. Mm -hmm. The consultation is a huge piece, and 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 we're finding that out more and more these days. How we talk to each other is a huge piece. My role primarily has been to talk to the parents in mass, individually and in mass, about their nobility. You mentioned it about about their nobility, of, of about the need for us all to work together as a community. When I talk to you about, for instance, the community that came to us, the community of Rotarians and Kiwanians and all those folks coming to, see, these, these are communities that don't normally work together. Yeah. You see, but what we have, the environment- So most created, of those organizations you're talking about are predominantly white. And then- Vastly, vastly. Yes. is- mostly African-American. Of the people who participate in the class experience, mm -hmm. I would say mostly, and, and, I, and I'm using these words um, because this is the reality of it, of the people who sit in the classes, most are African-Americans, vastly, most mm -hmm. are women. However, when you think about the whole organization, uh, the, the, the people who support it, the people who teach the classes, the people who donate the books, the people who advocate for it. If you come to a parent university, the audience would be surprisingly mixed. Okay. And the reason that is, is because we honor all human beings. We honor, first of all, uh, uh, conflict and contention are not permitted in uh, parent university. Mm. It's not permitted. We elevate learning. Right. To a spiritual level. Oh, beautiful. You see, it's not something's wrong with you, but this is the way this is the way you mine the gems that we are. This is the way we polish the gems. I think on our one of our initial um uh brochures and communications, we had the mine rich in gems of an estimable value quote. Yeah. We've had multiple Baha'i teachers, we've had multiple children's classes. Huh. Uh, we've done institute courses. Yeah. Along with everyone else. See, here's the thing. When you create something that everyone can contribute to, the Baha'is contribute can contribute directly to it, as well as the 4-H club. Right. As well as the YMCA. It doesn't have to be exclusive, but the Baha'is are in there. It's it goes back to when Floyd Adams created the Human Relations Commission. And he had he had the Jewish community in there. He had the Christian community in there, the Muslim community in there, the Baha'i community in there. So we don't have to be exclusive. Mm. We just have to just be in there, mm. you see. And, and our writings and our teachings will do the rest of the work. But to, to your point, there are some other things that we have annual reflection gatherings and we've had them for years. Mm. And I'm talking about 150 people at a reflection gathering. That's what it's called, the reflection gathering. Every year, 
and it's all the parents of Parent University. Mm. That's a reflection. Matter of fact, that's the first gathering of of every uh, Parent University year is the reflection gathering. And also, we have a graduation at the end of the year. And you say, well, what does it take to graduate, Mike? Well, what it takes is nine credits. (laughs) (laughs) It takes nine credits to graduate. If you graduate often enough, you get to become you get to become what we call a shining lamp. If you graduate off more often still, <laughs> wow, a shining lamp. <laughs> and if you off and if you graduate often enough, I wish I had one around, you get to become a brilliant star. Oh, wow. There are lots of Baha'i things embedded into it, but this is not this is not a shell game. Of rain, yeah. You know, this is you're not luring them in to convert. No, them. no, no. Now <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you. At one time, we had a theme song, and it, it scared the local Baha'is to death. We had a theme song at one of our graduations, and it was the Hawaiian Unity song. You know, yeah, we yeah. are drops yeah. of one ocean. We are leaves. And when the when the whole parent university graduating body started singing that, I thought some of the Baha'is are going to pass out. Because, I mean, that was a song that had been taught in the children's class that had and the children came and performed it for the parents. Yeah. At a couple of our closings. So the parents says, oh, why don't we sing that song uh, at our graduation? And I said, sure. So my 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 point is that, Rain. When we say we're going to serve. It's really it's really. <sighs> seductive to try and manipulate outcomes, manipulate sure. things. But really the spirit of service really has to be de- detached from that. Well, and- Michael, Michael, I talk about this all the time in the example of Abdul Baha, where yes, he spent a great deal of time writing back to Baha'is, dealing with local Baha'is, right, you know, writing tablets and letters, giving speeches about the Baha'i faith. And then he spent a good bulk of his time simply serving the community of greater Akka and Haifa and, you know, meeting with delegations, serving the poor, you know, fixing the viaducts, you know, bringing leaders together, uniting people. And he wasn't teaching the Baha'i faith. He wasn't in there kind of like saying like, hey, would you like to hear about my dad? (laughs) You know, he just was serving the community and making it better. And then yes. 20,000 people show up to his funeral because of that difference that he made. Now, of course, he's living the perfect exemplar life, but mm-hmm. we need to follow in his example. And I think yes. so many Baha'is are kind of like, okay, I'll clean up this park, but how do we let people know that this is a Baha'i thing and if they like the clean park, they should come to a fireside or something like that, with that, that right. old mentality. Yes, yes, yes. And by the way, he was also... A prisoner. <laughs> yeah. He had in, in, in all the things he was, he had the status of a of a prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when you think about oh, I have to be this, I have to be that in the community. Yep. The lowest he status. Was, he yeah. was a prisoner. A prisoner, a Persian. Yep. So uh, so, so Baha'i, you know, re- not a Muslim. Yep. You know? So, so it's but I was, matter of fact, I was just reading a book about him, and I'm so happy that this year that we're commemorating 
you know, his ascension. I'm so yeah. I'm so happy about that because. But what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? It's a very special year, remembering Abdul Baha. What does that spark well, in your heart? It's his service. I mean, you just you just said it. It's it's this. Of all the things he did, of all the things he did, I think what stood out most to me is his spirit of service, constant spirit of service to everyone, never appearing to talk to a person like there was there was some elevation from which he was. Of course, he knew he was or he knew what uh, his charge was. But the way he was always with every person that he was with at that moment, uh, I, one of the moments, Rain, that I want to uh, just highlight is one of the moments that I read about in a Thornton Chase remembrance of Abdul Baha. Okay. And when Abdul Baha was talking to a person that he was feeding, because you know he used to feed people and give people money. And the person he was feeding, you know, some of these people are almost insane with hunger and, and, and the condition of their life. And Abdu'l-Bahá would even have to sometime scold them because it was necessary. Sure. And Thornton Chase, from what I got from the writing, says even in the way Abdu'l-Bahá corrected this person's behavior, there was so much love emanating from him. And, and to me, the person that Baha'u'llah left in charge would spend his time raising the standard of someone who was homeless and was the, the, the probably considered by many the dregs of society, that he would spend his time nurturing that relationship to me speaks volumes. Mm. That's just one of the things mm. that most of us will never know all the, none of us will ever know all the things Abdu'l-Bahá did and all the things he experienced, but his general ethos of serving uh, humankind is what I'm, I'm so happy that we're commemorating this year. And I hope that we as Baha'is can begin to approach his level of humility and, and love of service that, that, that he had acquired. And, and I hope that we uh, can begin to model a behavior that sends us on that trajectory. Well, I can think of no better ending point for this discussion. I mean, we've been, we've been talking for a good hour and 20 minutes and, oh uh, my, <laughs> and uh, I would, we could go for another hour and 20 minutes. There's so much more I want to, learn from you, but that was just so beautifully said. And if people want to donate to Parent University, it's also a nonprofit, right? A 501 Yes, yes uh -huh. it is. Yes, it is. Uh, of course, you can go to our website mm -hmm. and parentuniversitysav.org mm -hmm. and there's a donate button. Sweet. And if there's any questions, you can call me. We will put the link. Put the link. Where we put under the uh, podcast. Yes. So Find out more information. Yes. Lots of different ways to donate. But um, Michael, what a, a brilliant story, an amazing conversation. Congratulations on all of your great work. And um, I can't wait to see you once all this COVID nonsense has been lifted. And um, I want to see Parent University in action. I really do. 
I look forward to the day that I introduce you to the audience at a parent university, Rain Wilson. That's fantastic. I, I'll teach a class and uh, I can do improv, clowning, comedy. Rain, I, career I, in show I look, business. I look forward to the opportunity or just a general talk, Rain. You know, uh, the, the parents would just I could teach would, chess. Would love it. I teach chess. I'm pretty good at chess. All right. Beautiful. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, right. Rain. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Rain. Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iblog.net. Thank you so much, and good night.